0: today on Ag News Daily.
1: When I was an agronomist, I used to read a bunch of different uh, articles and information and, and I found that when I started to write stuff out, I could make it more coherent, I could understand it better and I could have a better conversation with farmers, I could have a better conversation with colleagues.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Carr here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, sponsored today by Zaiwei Brand Fungicides from FMC.
2: Ashton, what do you know today? All I know is that it is really cold outside Delaney. The high for today was 33 degrees. I don't think we're even going to reach that. I was out and about earlier this morning running some errands and there was a little bit of snow, very, very light snow. Wasn't even sticking or anything, but it's quite chilly today. It is. It's like negative eight
0: here. According to Blaine, I haven't left the house, nor do I plan to at this point because it's so cold. I did see, I think it was maybe Caleb Hamer or somebody on Twitter or Facebook. I don't even remember where I saw it today, but it was like a funny meme talking about how by the time you pumped your gas, you'd, you know, have so much exposure to the elements that you'd basically be frostbitten.
2: That just gives me the heebie-jeebies. I hate being cold and I just hate, I just don't like the idea of it. I can't even put it into words. I'm cold just thinking about being cold.
0: Yes, I am the same way. So I understand.
2: Well Delaney I'm glad that I'm a little bit warmer than you are up there today but I want to go ahead and kick off our conversation today with a follow-up from the fertilizer talk that we had yesterday. And Of course we're going to be Continuing to keep an eye out on fertilizer prices and whatnot, but I think that we might have to revisit this from an interview standpoint because we saw Josh Linville, who we've had on the podcast before, tell Brownfield Ag News that he expects that fertilizer prices are going to be coming back down in late spring, which is an earlier timeline than we discussed yesterday. He said, quote, we will see a reset Prices will come down in the summer. We are not going to stay where we are at today. It's not sustainable, but I don't think we will see the values we saw a couple of summers ago in 2020. And of course, he also adds that he's watching trade very closely as we move forward here. But I just wanted to add that little bit of information to our conversation that we had yesterday about fertilizer prices And honestly, I think that we should probably have another interview with Josh or maybe somebody else talking about this because I think that things are, I feel like taking a a very quick 180.
0: That is a good point, Ashton. And yeah, I think it would be great to have him back on, you know, as we talk about taxes, as we talk about planning ahead for this year. I think it was Tommy that mentioned it on the podcast last week, but, you know, there's still a lot of room between now and when. The Spring Crop Insurance prices is set for a lot of things to happen, so if you don't have marketing plans locked in or you don't have input costs locked in for this year or even next year, you know there's still a lot of question mark there and a lot of profit that could get left on the table, so it certainly could be an interesting Conversation to have with Josh, so I'll leave that in your capable hands to follow up that uh, conversation with him. But Ashton, one thing I wanted to follow up on today because I got a couple texts and I saw some things on Twitter today asking what the heck was going on with soybeans today, because especially old crop really saw some significant movements earlier in the trading session today, and I think there's a couple of reasons for that, but really the biggest one. The biggest headline that I saw today in dealing with today's price action in soybeans was some new reports fueled by Brazilian farmers who are apparently refusing to sell new crop supplies. And as we talked about on the podcast earlier this week, Brazil is off their harvest season, not very far along yet, but a lot of their farmers are apparently refusing to sell their new crop supplies, which has left exporters short of supplies to fill contracts. And it's speculated that they may be buying up supplies from other countries. And so, of course, that whole mix of who's buying from where and who's filling what contracts with what soybeans. But uh, it's expected to lead China to buy more U.S. soybeans here in the short period to extend and extend our export season to cover that need until Brazilian farmers decide if they want to sell or if this holdout continues. So that was certainly a lot of today's market speculation as to what was going on in the soybean markets.
2: Well, Delaney, I'm glad that we have you around to dissect those kinds of things, because as our listeners, of course, should know by now, you're a lot more skilled in that facet than I am. But Delaney, I have an announcement or a a news story that I should say, not really so much an announcement, but coming from Carhartt, we saw last week that the Supreme Court announced the decision that large companies do not have to enforce the vaccination or testing requirement that was proposed by the Biden administration. That decision is ultimately left up to the employer on what they're going to do with the vaccine requirement. And we've seen a couple of different ag-based companies actually go through with those kinds of things. And Carhartt is now one of them because they have put a vaccine mandate in place for roughly 3,000 of its U.S.-based employees. And They've gotten some backlash from social media about this. In fact, hashtag boycott Carhartt started trending on Twitter after the announcement from Carhartt's CEO. So not a great look for Carhartt just because of that you know, hashtag there. But I don't know really what their employees are saying. This is really just some backlash, I think, from their customers. But I thought it was interesting, nonetheless, as we continue to see, you know, what companies, what companies are going to do when it comes to vaccines and COVID-19 testing. But I feel like we really haven't heard anything for quite some time. I feel like the conversation has kind of died down a little bit.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And I think, obviously, the Supreme Court overruling that or overturning that executive order that the Biden administration put into place definitely has a lot of companies kind of scrambling to figure out what's next, Ashton. But speaking of the pandemic, you know, one of the key issues that we've seen under the pandemic has been food inflation, but also food chain issues. And yesterday afternoon, President Biden took some time to address those issues again and said that we need, once again, more competition to reduce meat prices and help fight against inflation. He said that the administration will inject competition into the highly consolidated meat industry to bring down prices at the grocery store, because we've seen meat prices soar by about 15% since 2021, and overall food inflation up by 6%. We know that earlier this month, he announced a four-point plan to help boost competition in the meat industry, and he said that he is going to continue pushing forward with that as well as other plans to help tackle some of the consolidation in the protein industry. However, we still really haven't seen any big announcements as far as how these independent meat processors and packers will be able to use that $1 billion pledge from President Biden.
2: Well, in my opinion, Delaney, of course, this is kind of editorial here, but I think that we just keep having these conversations, but not a lot is really going into the works. And so at what point do we actually start doing something and, you know, have a fire lit under whoever, the administration, whoever you want to point your finger at. But I just think that there's been a lot of talk, not a whole lot of walk at this point. That is probably a fair statement, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I am going to pick things back up here only after we hear from our sponsor for today, FMC.
3: Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriofol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions.
2: Well Delaney, this is my last little bit of news here concerning African swine fever. There has been the first few cases that have been detected in Thailand According to the World Organization for Animal Health, there were three pigs that were purchased back in 2021 as pets by a private citizen, and all three of these pigs died in early December, but only one pig was sent to a university for testing to diagnose the cause of the animal's sudden death. Thailand's Department of Livestock Development has been conducting active and passing surveillance since China reported positive samples in pork products that were shipped in from Thailand. So all that I know now from these three pigs is that one of them was positive for African swine fever, but I'm going to go ahead and assume that all three are probably positive if all three of them suddenly up and died.
0: That is probably a safe assumption, Ashton. Probably a safe assumption. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I'm no doctor, but those are my thoughts. Well, I am no meteorologist, Ashton, nothing compared to Eric Snodgrass, but we do have the broader outlook for the long-range forecast for the U.S., which was released today by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Their broader outlook for February, March, and April – is suggesting a wet spring for the eastern Midwest with the continuation of drought in much of the plains where we see a lot of the hard red winter wheat produced. And in a separate outlook, they also outlined expectations for drought to expand from the southern plains further east into Kansas and much of Nebraska here over the next couple of months. So certainly could see some a little bit of a mixed bag for those folks in the northern plains and the corn belt it could be a pretty wet spring in the midwest and a pretty dry spring in the southern plains
2: well delaney i am all out of stories to talk about for today so what do you say we get into the markets let's do that ashton and
0: as we hop over into the markets today i also just wanted to make a quick mention at one final piece of news Looking at the Rural Main Street Index, which is, of course, a survey of rural bankers, they said that for 14 straight months, the rural economy has posted healthy and consistent gains. But as we look forward here into 2022, there are a couple of things that they said may have cause for concern. They said, of course, increased output costs, excuse me, increased input costs have raised their average farmer break even points and current commodity prices still do produce, you know, mostly moderate gains on all financial statements. But, you know, as we talked about earlier earlier crop insurance prices for the spring have not been set yet and they also said that loan reviews show an increase in working capital net worth and lower leverage in almost every case around 19 percent of the bankers surveyed expect four or more one quarter percentage point rate hikes for 2022 and of course That is noted that the Federal Reserve is expected to raise short-term interest rates here in 2022, about four different times throughout this year. And they also said that inflation is still a very serious problem and one that they are keeping an eye on as well. So certainly a little bit of mixed bag there for farm economy, as of course, we're expecting to still see pretty strong commodity prices this year, but also fairly strong input prices, unless we hear something different from Josh Linville Ashton.
2: Well, Delaney, I am ready to get into the markets. How about we go ahead and look at those?
0: Absolutely, Ashton. As I mentioned, we saw big excitement today in the soybean pits as the March contract added thirty-four and a half cents to close at fourteen twenty-five and three quarters. The November new crop soybean contract still showing positive movements today, not quite as big of movements as the March contract. With November adding just 15 and three quarters cents closing the day out at 1320 and a quarter. Corn today was a little bit of a mixed bag with the March contract finishing just a half a cent higher at 611 Deese new crop corn down two and a half cents closing the day out at 562 and a quarter. Wheat lower today as the Chicago March contract closed six and a quarter cent lower at 790 and a quarter the March the May excuse me down five and a half cents ending the day at 793 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at livestock markets today, we saw mostly weakness across the cattle complex and strength in the lean hog market. February live cattle shed 22.5 cents today, settling at 138.32, the April down 17.5 cents, closing the day out at a buck forty-three. In the feeder cattle pits, the marsh contract. Shed 67.5 cents today, closing the day out at 164.95. The April down 52 and a half cents, ending the day at 169.52 and a half. And in Lean Hogs, as I mentioned today, there was quite a bit of strength as the February contract added $2.62, closing at $84.92. The April up $2.65, closing at $94 on the nose. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class 3 Dairy Milk Futures. February down 45 cents, closing at 2086. The March down 62 cents, closing at 21.70. Ashton, without further ado, let's talk to Shane Thomas about Upstream Ag Insights.
2: Well, today we are talking to Shane Thomas of Upstream Ag Insights. Shane, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it.
2: So Shane, before we get started talking about Upstream Ag Insights, I want to know a little bit more about your background because I've read some bios and articles about you, and I think that you have some pretty interesting stuff there under your belt.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, I'm. Uh, I have uh, kind of a, a typical background, but then some of my interests uh, have kind of veered into into other areas that are maybe non typical to ag, but. I started out in the industry uh, as an agronomist, uh, working directly with with farmers and, and producers and, and really loved soil science, plant physiology, all that sort of stuff. So I, I got to do that for a number of years and, and then move into um Roles training other agronomists when I was in, in the egg retail space. So helping support their understanding of crop production, crop protection, all those different things. And uh, from there, I, I got the opportunity to move into uh, marketing at, at an egg retail uh, business, uh, then move into the distribution side, the uh, digital strategy side it, while kind of working uh, alongside some of the Processing side of the agribusiness business, as well as the um, grain origin side of things, so the elevators and and that sort of stuff. So that was really the uh, kind of core foundation of what set my interests and and my experience and my background. And then I did go on to work at a at a uh, large egg tech company doing some more global business development and really getting to get some exposure into Australia and Latin America and, and uh, Europe and that sort of thing.
0: And Shane. The cat's out of the bag. You've got a little bit of an accent. Uh, you're a Canadian, as I understand it. Tell us a little bit about growing up there. Were you involved in agriculture from a young age or how did you find yourself in this business?
1: Yeah, so I, uh, I, I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm from uh, Saskatchewan, Canada originally. I now live in, in Calgary, Alberta, so the western side of Canada. And, and I didn't grow up on a farm or anything, but my, uh, my dad actually worked in egg retail Uh, his uh, entire career in, in uh, ag retail. So managing a location and helping farmers out. And so I needed a summer job after my first year in university where I was taking uh, psychology and kinesiology and, and I really had no interest to to go into agriculture, but uh, I ended up Loading fertilizer, slinging chemicals into the back of farmers trucks and, and ended up just falling in love with, with the complexity of it all and, and uh, how herbicides were used to, to manage the crop and, and how fungicides could be used and fertility. And so that's really how I got into it. And after that summer, I, I changed my, my major and, and uh, have worked in agriculture ever since.
2: So now that we're caught up to speed here, I definitely want to talk about Upstream Ag Insights. Can you give us the bird's eye view of what it is, why you started it, all of that good
1: stuff? Yeah, so really where it stemmed from when I I mentioned I was an agronomist and when I was an agronomist I used to read a bunch of different uh, articles and information and and I found that when I started to write stuff out I could make it more coherent I could understand it better and I could have a better conversation with farmers I could have a better conversation with colleagues. Um, and so as my uh, my interests have, have progressed into other areas of, of agriculture uh, that still include agronomy, but go beyond that too, into the tech and the business, business side of things, I said, hey, you know what, I'm reading all this stuff about the, the technology side of agriculture. I'm reading about the business and finance side of agriculture. Maybe I should start writing about it and actually helping myself better understand it. So I started writing about it. But then I found that it's nice to actually get feedback from from people, whether they agree or whether they disagree. I, I can better learn. I can better understand. And so, it really has stemmed from a, a point of wanting to learn and and uh, force myself to learn and better understand what's going on in the egg industry, specifically as it pertains to uh, technology and and the business and, and financial. Side of things. And I think from there, what I I really realized is that, um, like I mentioned earlier, I kind of have some other interests outside of agriculture that get into, um, the really hardcore technology and sciences and, and investing in, in these sorts of things. And if you go look at other industries, there's a lot of, Analysts that are talking about business strategy, they're analyzing the fundamentals of the company, they're analyzing the implications to consumers. Uh, And when I looked out into agriculture, there was a lot of information all the time coming from the media companies, but there was really nobody kind of sifting through the Implications of it for the farmer, for ag retailers, for agribusinesses and, and really focusing in on that, uh, kind of intersection of technology, business and, and agronomy, which is where I focus in on and, and write about every single week and, and just really try to make it make sense for people. As we see all these different technologies, all these different buzz terms coming in, my goal is really to, to help the industry understand what it means, what it can mean and, and where we're going and why.
0: So I want to dive a little bit more into your newsletter that you put out. I love newsletters. I get a lot of them each day. I actually just subscribed to yours. So I'm very excited to start getting it. But I noticed that you guys just hit your 100th edition of the Upstream Ag Insights newsletter. Tell us a little bit more about what goes into this newsletter, how frequently it is, and what kind of information our listeners could find if they wanted to subscribe to it.
1: Sure. Yeah. Thanks for subscribing. And, and, uh, yeah, it comes out every week. I've written it. Uh, so every Sunday morning is when I, I send it out. And so I've been doing that for, uh, basically bang on two years, uh, this past week, actually. And so that's where the, the hundred editions have, have came in. And, and, uh, really what I do is, uh, kind of navigate. I have, I don't know, I must get probably upwards of a hundred different emails every day from, egg and technology-based uh, websites and and newspapers and, and that sort of thing and so I'm constantly sifting through it trying to pull in the most interesting headlines the most interesting announcements when it comes to uh, technology and agriculture when it comes to uh, some of the financial announcements that get into the investor side of publicly traded companies like the Lindsay Irrigations or the Bayer's or the Nutrients those sorts of organizations so I'm really trying to to pull some of this information. Uh, in And kind of curate that into a, a list or an email with all the links, and then what I try to do is apply my lens and my uh, kind of mental models or mental frameworks around: Hey, what does this headline actually mean? What does this? Uh, what is this going to mean for farmers in the Midwest in Western Canada? I try to focus in on North America primarily, uh, and then I try to tie it back to what the implications of it can mean for egg retailers or large agribusinesses like the Syngentas or or BASFs or, or whoever again. And so really try to uh, talk about what other companies are out there that do similar things, what other technologies are, are out there and what it could actually look like from a business model perspective. So how might the farmer end up paying for this specific type of artificial intelligence and what benefit could it actually bring to the, their farm in terms of profitability, yields, uh, risk mitigation, all those sorts of things. And so I'm really trying to um, Look at a, a number of different areas that that come back to uh, the farm and come back to agribusinesses. and it really tends to get into autonomy, biologicals um, AI and imagery uh, fertilizers, some of the crop protection products, and so really tying all that uh, all that together and and uh, hoping that there's something of interest in, and of use for uh, the agribusiness industry
2: well Shane, before we keep talking here, I want to Take a break to hear from our sponsor, FMC.
3: It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions.
2: So you've been working on Upstream Ag Insights. Excuse me, let me pick that up. So you've been working on Upstream Ag Insights for about two years now. So I assume that you're going to continue on this trend. You sound very passionate about this. So what lies ahead for Upstream?
1: Yeah, I, I do love it. It's, uh, I, I write probably on average about five or 6,000 words a, a week. Uh, and I shouldn't say I write, I share sometimes I'm quoting. And so I probably write 2,500 or 3,000 words and then share another thousand through quotes from articles and, and that sort of thing. But, uh, it's, it's a ton of fun. It, it helps me learn. And so, um, my goal really is to continue doing it for hopefully at least another 100 or 200 uh, editions. And, and I think there's probably two areas that uh, I look at, at really moving forward with. It and, and one is just really on the content uh, delivery side of things. Right now, it's primarily written. I did just launch a, a video audio aspect where I talk about uh, some of the concepts that are in Upstream Egg Insights that week. And so I'm going to try to do a little bit more on the video and the audio side of things here in the next uh, three, six months, 12 months, that sort of thing. As well as create some eBooks that can be some simple tools and and systems for um, egg retailers and industry professionals, as well as look at even building out more of a a platform approach so that there's more information for agribusinesses to access and utilize that's aggregated through a number of different web crawlers and, and that sort of thing. And, and so that's really kind of my, my hope is to build it into a more meaningful uh, website and, and tool. And then I do have a consulting aspect of the business where I work with some of the startup uh, companies that are uh, needing some support in terms of how does an agronomist think? How does a retailer think? How does a farmer think? And what is the competitive landscape out there? And so I help help them uh, as well as some of the the large agribusinesses on the crop input side of things, support them in navigating the technology and what what it could mean for their uh, specific businesses and and help them with ecosystem mapping. So what startup companies are out there? Um, Who could they partner with? Who could they be looking at acquiring? Who could they invest in? So supporting them on that front. And so hoping to expand that out in a more meaningful way as I look out over the next 12, 18 months.
0: But certainly to watch, you know, the autonomous space, especially has been one I've been intrigued to watch. So I'm excited to sign up for your newsletter and start seeing some of the insights that you have to provide. But for those of our listeners who want to sign up for your newsletter, follow along with you on social media, how can they find you?
1: Yeah, so uh, the easiest way is uh, Upstream Ag Insights. So Upstream Ag as an A-G and then insights.substack com is is where my newsletter is housed at and then I, i'm also pretty active on on social media so at shane agronomy uh on twitter uh, and you can also find me uh at shane thomas on uh, on linkedin and and uh, I, i'm almost always uh going to be uh, answering within those social media aspects or if you want to email me directly uh, the easiest way is upstreamaginsights at gmail.com and would love to to hear questions and, and comments from from anybody I respond to everybody that that sends me messages and, and emails and, and always looking to meet new and interesting people so would welcome uh, anybody's questions and, and comments and, and willingness to connect.
0: Fantastic. well Shane, we certainly appreciate your time today and best of luck with the continued newsletter.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me and and, uh, happy to have you on board reading every week moving forward.
2: Thanks again there to Shane for coming on the podcast and chatting with us. It was definitely an interesting conversation and I am always excited to talk to folks who are passionate about what they do for the ag industry and Shane's definitely one of them.
0: He certainly is, Ash, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly. And I'm really excited to start getting his weekly newsletter. So folks, if you are interested in signing up for the Upstream Ag Insights newsletter, we'll drop that link in the podcast description. So check it out and make sure you're following along with Shane on social media. But also make sure while you're there to hit subscribe and follow to Ag News Daily if you're not following along with us as well. With that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.